Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us. We ask now that you take each part of this service. Remind us once again, Lord, that we do not sing these songs for ourselves. The special music is not for our own glory or edification, but Lord, it is for yours. We ask that you be lifted up in all that is said and done here today. And Lord, most importantly, when we come to the time of invitation at the end of the service, that there would not be one of us that would withhold our hearts and our lives from thee. We ask you to be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Open to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And for those that are familiar with what we're doing on Sunday night, we've been working the last several months on a verse-by-verse exposition of the books of 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, and we just got into 2nd Timothy, and uh, we're going to just pick up tonight, uh, this morning, where we left off a couple Sunday nights ago, and uh, uh, verse 7 of of 2nd Timothy, 2nd Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. I'd like for us to just look at one verse here this morning. And work through this one verse. It says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now let's just read that again. It says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now what's going on with these books of Timothy is Paul is writing to his underling, to his preacher in training. And and Timothy was more than a preacher in training. He was already doing the work of the ministry. In the book of 1 Timothy, Paul had left him at the city of Ephesus. He was in charge there to a great degree to make sure that what was going on in the church was what God wanted to go on in the church. And, of course, you read that book of 1 Timothy, and the stress comes down to one word. That word is doctrine. Now, if you open the yellow pages today, sometimes you can find churches that will advertise themselves. We have no doctrine. Uh, I'll warn you this morning, if that's what you're looking for, you're not going to find it here, all right? Uh, That's all we have is doctrine. Doctrine is what we believe. And uh, going to a church that says it has no doctrine is like going to an ice cream shop that doesn't sell ice cream. Uh, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. And again, we're not here to sell anything at all. What we're here to do is to open up the books, the words of this Bible, the book that God has given us, and find in it what God wants for us to do. If your Christianity, if your relationship with God, it only consists of the things you think about and the things you talk about, I, I want to challenge you, your relationship with God is in dire need of an overhaul. Because it's not supposed to be just reflected in what we say and what we think. It's supposed to be shown to the world we live in what we do. Now, Timothy faced a problem that many younger preachers face. And and I know you would think that your pastor has never had this problem, but... uh, only the Lord knows what went on in my heart in many younger years, in the younger years of my ministry, and even still today. And that word is intimidation. Uh, it is easy as a pastor to be afraid or to take your message and say, you know, maybe I, I shouldn't be quite so hard. Uh, this morning, maybe I could just round that edge a little bit and make it a little easier. And we don't ever want to be unnecessarily offensive. Being offensive for the sake of being offensive is just simply ridiculous. 
But if God's word does not ruffle a few feathers, if it doesn't get you just a little bit out of line, if it doesn't take your breath away every once in a while, make you stop and say, whoa, I never saw that before. There's something wrong with me because I'm not in agreement with what's in here. Then you better be careful how you're handling the word of God. You can make this book say anything you want. All I need is a pair of scissors and a piece of paper and a little glue, and you just cut the words out and put them in any order you want. And there's people that interpret their Bible that way, but we pray that that would never, ever happen here. But Paul is writing Timothy, and he knows that there are many people that are much older than Timothy was, Physically, and there were people that had spent their entire lives studying the Bible. Of course, they studied what we call the Old Testament scriptures. They met in uh, the synagogues of the area and had learned their Bible. And then Paul's message came and they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was, real, it was a real challenge for young Timothy to answer all of the questions and all of the traditions and all of the things that had been going on for generations before Timothy was even born. And Paul's writing to him and he said, listen, in verse 6 he says, I want to stir up that gift that is given to you. I want you to be a preacher of the gospel and here's why. Verse 7, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Now, as you stand here, sit here this morning, as we're gathered here in this worship service, I want you to stop and think about when was the last time you were afraid to do something that you knew that Jesus wanted you to do? Well, yesterday I was passing out tracts. I was afraid to give certain people certain tracts. I mean, sometimes we see someone walking down the street and they've got 14 different shades of hair color and it's pointed in 20 different directions and, and uh, they, they look very different. And there's usually two reactions that happens. Number one, that person is a mess. Boy, we, I need to give them this gospel track. If you were that person, would you want to receive something for someone with that attitude? No. And the other response is, oh, I could never give them what track. They'll, they'll yell at me. They'll cuss at me. They'll... Listen, God has not given us the spirit of fear. You never, ever need to be afraid to do what the Bible says to do. Never ever. And if you are, it's because you're being influenced by the wrong spirit. Now that's, that's a harsh statement and it ought to. It ought to be one of those things that gets a hold of us because I doubt there's a one of us, myself included, that doesn't go through a week that we don't think, well, maybe I ought not do that. Wait a minute. When the Bible says to do something, we ought to obey what the Bible says to do. Could we hear amen on that? Just want to make sure I was in the right church this morning, all right? We want to obey the Bible. But every one of us have experienced fear when it comes to doing what the Bible says. And he said, now listen, Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear. And when you're experiencing that thing, it's because you're being influenced by something that did not come from God. Now, I want us to go to 1 John chapter 4, and, and if you've been here very long, you're familiar with this verse. We quote it often, and, and I just want us to go there and, and get this because 
There are so many people that live their lives in fear. In fact, uh, I don't know if we have any students of modern psychology here today, uh, but there's an entire genre, an entire uh, uh, section of uh, psychology today that is built upon this one word called fear. They take the human being and they analyze everything that goes on in that human being's life, and it's all wrapped around this word fear. The reason why you go to church is because you're afraid of God. The reason why you obey your parents is because you're afraid of them. The reason why you don't do this is because you're afraid. And, and I, I want to challenge you that some people do behave that way. But let's look at what the Bible has to say about living a life controlled by fear. Look at verse 18 of John chapter 4. It says... There is no fear in love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. You've got to read the next verse. We love him. Because he first loved us. God has not given us the spirit of fear. There are people who are afraid of what other people will do to them. And I mean, they're real easy to spot here in New York City, aren't they? They walk down the street like this. And they're always looking over their shoulder and they're always trying to see who's doing what. How many of you remember the story of Peter? He followed Jesus afar off, did he not? Now, somebody might say it took an awful lot of courage for him to follow Jesus at all. But he was sitting at the fire in the palace of the high priest while Jesus, at the fire in the palace with the very men that had arrested Jesus, at the same moment Jesus was being beaten and spit upon by those other men that had arrested him. Now, for Peter to be there, that's pretty amazing, is it not? But when the young maid came out and said, Hey, there's one of Jesus' disciples. What are you doing here? What did he do? He's afraid, wasn't he? Jesus? Who's he? Oh, you must not be one of his disciples. Finally, he had to protest a little louder and before it was all done, he was using language that does not befit the Christian tongue in trying to separate himself. And it's interesting, they didn't ask him after he cursed and swore because Jesus' followers never talk like that. Sometimes we allow the fear of other human beings to make us do things that are against the Word of God. That's not from God, by the way. Have you ever been afraid of being misunderstood because you wanted to do what the Bible said? If you wanted to do what the Bible said, there's been times when you've been afraid that people would not think. Every Sunday morning I stand up and I say, I'm trying to communicate the truths of the gospel. But there's always going to be somebody that just doesn't catch it. They'll get one little bit, and they'll twist it all up, and, and most of the time in their own mind. And there's, there's a lot of fear in being misunderstood. There's a lot of fear of failure. That was the story that Jesus gave of the servants. Remember that? He had given the one servant ten talents, another servant five, and another servant one. In the other story, he gave the pounds to the servants. But that guy with the one, he did the same thing in both stories. He said, I knew you were an austere man. You know what? Fear always blames the wrong person. 
Fear is never founded in reality. How many of you knew who Ulysses S. Grant was? He was a general in the Civil War. And I, I read a, an abridged edition of his uh, memoir, and this was his personal testimony. He was given a command. He was only a colonel at this time, and he was to take his regiment up to the top of the hill. And on the top of that hill, the Confederate army, the enemy, had entrenched themselves. And here's the problem. When you are out in the open, running toward men behind a stone fence and dug in holes with guns, what normally happens? You die, not them. And General Grant, at that time he was only a colonel, he tells the story, he said, we began marching up the hill. He said, my heart began beating. He said, we were waiting any moment for the volley of enemy bullets to spray through our ranks knowing that it could be any of us or all of us before we, had got, before we reached the top of the hill. He said, it got to the point to where my heart was beating that I thought I would die before I reached the top of the hill, and onward we marched. He said, we got to the top of the hill and found the enemy had fled. said, they were as afraid of me as I was of them. There was only one difference. I kept going the direction I should have, and they fled the field. said, I never forgot that. They used to call him old blood and guts because he would send so many soldiers against the enemy positions, and, and he, when he lost a battle, he would just regroup, and the next day he would attack again and attack again, and, and he never quit until he won the war. Listen, how many of you have read this Bible? Who's the winner at the end of the book? God is. And by the way, God does not lose one battle from Genesis to Revelation. Man messes up an awful lot of things in between. But God never loses one battle from beginning to end. It says, the spirit of fear is not from God. Now, it just seems like we live in an age of extremes, does it not? We have people that are so afraid of everything that they won't even leave their own apartment. And then we have people that are so unafraid of everything that they'll just walk off the edge of a cliff and hope nothing bad happens when they hit the bottom. Could I challenge you today that both are just as senseless? When God says he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, he defines the spirit that he gives us. There's not the spirit of fear, God does not... Let me read the Bible again, make sure I say this right. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. If your life is controlled by fear today, I, I want to challenge you. You've got to read what the Bible says. You're allowing a spirit that is not from God to be in control of at least certain parts of your life. And there's only one challenge, there's only one goal to solve that problem, and that's allow the spirit that is from God to control you. Now, here's the description of the Spirit that is from God. It says, the Spirit, it says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, number one, but of power. But of power. Now, I like power, don't you? Not over other people, but I like horsepower. 
I like lots of it. I don't necessarily care for horses, but I like horsepower. Uh, I like the fact that there's enough power coming into this building to run all four air conditioners this morning without turning out the lights and tripping the breakers. How many are glad about that? Uh, I am for the proper and right use of power. Man has benefited greatly from that. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be what? Does anybody remember the rest of the verse? Witnesses unto me. Now, we have an awful lot of stuff that goes on, and they talk about, I've got the power of the Holy Ghost, and I can resist the forces of the devil, and I can... Well, wait a minute. If you got the power of the Holy Ghost, what are you going to do? You're going to witness to other people about Jesus. If you're not doing that... That's not the spirit of power that's being spoken about here in the book of 1 Timothy. How many of you have ever been afraid to tell somebody else about Jesus? If you're alive and you're telling somebody about Jesus, you've been afraid. If you're not afraid, it's because you're not telling anybody. But if you'll get the spirit of power, that power will overcome the fear. That's what's being spoken of by Paul to Timothy here. Only a foolish person has no fear of any kind. But you have to overcome the wrong kind of fear. What casteth out, we'll get to this in a minute, what casteth out fear? The second one, love. But that love has to have power. Secret love is worthless. How many of you remember? Second grade. Maybe you did this and maybe you didn't. If you don't want to admit it. Do you like me? I like you. Circle one, yes, no, maybe. And then you don't sign the letter. And so the person is getting this and they're looking and then they're looking all around the room and then they get called down by the teacher because they're trying to figure out who wrote this letter. And once they do, you get yelled at. What are you doing to get me in trouble? Listen, that's not what's being spoken about here. How many of you remember what happened to the disciples? Jesus had just ascended into heaven. It was a week or so after Pentecost, and they went into the temple, and there was a lame man there, and they healed the lame man. 5,000 people were added to the church that day. But the disciples were arrested. They were taken in before the council. They examined them. And they said, if you don't stop teaching in Jesus' name, we're going to beat you and we're going to stop you. Later on, they kept preaching. We get to chapter 5 and verse 26. I just read it to you. It says, Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. Let me ask you, who had the power in Acts chapter 5? The Jews, the leaders of the temple, or the disciples? It was the captains and the officers who were trying to arrest the disciples that were afraid of the people because they were going to arrest the disciples. Let me tell you, the disciples had the power, not the captain and the guards. But who got arrested? The disciples did. Who got beaten? Uh, the disciples did. But who had the power? Uh, the disciples did. We won't take time to go into the whole thing, but it was Napoleon that said, 
that many great men of history have commanded armies and entire empires by the use of force. But only Jesus of Nazareth has untold thousands who will willingly give their lives at any moment for his name because of love. Says he is different than all the rest. He's not a tyrant. Who has the power, my friend? You can only have God's power when you obey his word. The spirit that he has given unto us is so that we can obey the words that are in this book. Timothy was in a foreign society. There was everything against him. He was one of the youngest men in the church. There may have been several thousand members. And he was telling Timothy, you make sure they teach no other doctrine. I bet Timothy understood what the word intimidation meant. And by the way, Timothy didn't go in there saying, the Apostle Paul left me in charge here and you better listen to what I have to say. He'd have gotten laughed out of there. Timothy went in there with Paul's letters. He went in there with the Old Testament scriptures. He went in there and said, this is what the Bible says and this is what we are to teach. Nothing more, nothing less. And men that were 20 years older than Timothy said, yeah, you're right, Timothy. We've got to do what the Bible says and what Paul's taught us, not the traditions that we have received. Here's what Paul told the Corinthians. He said, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. What has your relationship with God produced in your life, my friend? There ought to be some things that happen. We ought to have power over sin in our lives. If we don't, it's because we're being influenced by the wrong spirit. We ought to have power that when the world is going one direction, we don't just join in with them and say it's okay. You say, how do I do that? Well, when you're at work and somebody starts telling a dirty story. Oh, yeah, and laugh along with everybody else. No, just walk out of the room. Takes a lot of power to walk out of the room, doesn't it? It takes a lot of power to just simply say, no, I don't believe that. The spirit of power. But, you know, power in and of itself if it's not tempered by love, it's not biblical. You know what they said about George Washington? It was actually John Adams was in England after the Revolutionary War. They were talking and he said, what will that general do now that the revolution is over? Here was the answer. I suppose he'll go back to farming. The king looked incredulously and he said, farming? He's just defeated the most powerful army in the world and he's going to go back to his farm? And he said, yes, I imagine that's what he'll do. He said, if he does that, he is the greatest man that has ever lived. These were the words of King George III. You see, George Washington had the power, my friend. They wanted to make him king of this country. He said, I will not be a king. I will not use the power of the people that they will give me to destroy them. I will only use it to build them. And he became our first president and willfully retired after his second term in office. That's an illustration of the kind of power and the love connected together that is being spoken of here. The power that God has is the greatest power in all the universe. 
And I've heard preachers preach, well, God ought to just rain fire and brimstone down on such and such a place. Whoa, wait a minute, my friend. It is the long-suffering of God that has brought you to repentance. Will you not give those people that live in that city the same chance that God has given you? Amen? Listen. Love casteth out fear. It is the hardest thing in the world if you can count your friends upon the fingers of one hand. I'm talking about real friends. The world tells us that you're a very fortunate person. There's not hardly a city in this country that I cannot go to and introduce myself as an independent Baptist pastor and not find good friends that love this same book and love that same Savior who will willingly give anything and, and, and be used and spent so that we could serve God together. We would not be sitting in this building if it were not for churches and pastors literally coast to coast that gave gifts so we could buy this building. Let me tell you, that's power and that's love connected together and that's the spirit that's being spoken of here. And it's a spirit that we need to live in every day. How many are waiting until we get to that last one? It says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And you can't finish love unless we spend just a minute Acts chapter 16. Remember Paul was beaten. Silas, they were thrown into prison. At midnight, what were they doing? They were singing praises to God. And the power showed up. The earthquake brought and shook the prison and opened all the doors and broke the chains. And the caretaker walked in, the, the warden of the prison, and he said, the prisoners have fled. You see, the Romans had a neat little law. If the jailkeeper let the prisoners out, then the jailkeeper served the prisoner's sentence. Could you imagine what would happen to that jailkeeper if they throwed him in the prison with the people that he had abused and tortured and chained? And His life wouldn't be worth anything. He said, I'm not going to undergo that privation and that humiliation. I'm just going to end it all. And he drew his sword to kill himself. And out of the darkness came a voice. The power was already there. The prison had been opened. But then the love came out, my friend. Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. That's why the jailkeeper sprung in and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He, the emblem of Rome and the power of Rome, was at the feet of the prisoners, saying, Sir, show me how to be saved. I want what you have. The reason we don't have that going on today is because we don't have the power. The little bit of power we do have, we don't have the love. And can I tell you, love without power is worthless. Just saying I love you and you can't do anything to help somebody. That's ridiculous. You got to have the power. That's why it's in the order that it's in. You got to have the love because that's what makes the power real. But then there's another one there. What's that last one? And of a sound mind. I think I could spend all day on this last one. How about you? Could we not use just a little soundness of mind today? Amen? I mean, we have people running around trying to exercise all kind of power. 
but they're not sound of mind. How many people got one of Tony Alamo's newspapers yesterday? They were all over Astoria. Uh, I just didn't have time. There's too much going on. Somebody exercised their freedom of speech, putting them out. I like to exercise my freedom of speech, picking them up and throwing them all away. Uh, but you talk about someone that does not have a sound mind. Uh, it's Tony Alamo. He says, there's no verse in the Bible that says you can't have more than one wife at the same time. And, uh, but there is a verse that says if you want to preach and teach the gospel, you've got to be husband of one wife. And I don't care how you interpret that when you can't get polygamy out of it, let me tell you that. You talk about a nutcase. There is somebody... He says, everybody that doesn't teach the whole Bible like me is going to hell. Well, I think there's a verse in the Bible that says Scripture's not of any private interpretation. If you're the only guy that figured it out, guess who might be on the wrong road? It's not all of us. And I hope Mr. Alamo could be saved someday, but I, I see no evidence of it in anything I've read in his papers, and that's why... I tell you, just throw them away. It's ridiculous. We need a sound mind. You know what we're told today? We're told today that we're crazy if we want to discipline our children and raise them according to the Bible. Isn't that true? Now, let me ask you a question. Look into the world in which we live. Look at the result of children who are raised with no discipline of any kind. I ask you, who has the sound mind and who doesn't? They say that you're not of sound mind if you believe that God could create the earth and the world in seven days and don't believe in all the scientific proof for evolution. Uh, I challenge you today, there is no scientific proof for evolution. They say that we mutated from one-cell organisms. What they don't tell you is, how many people heard the term of biogenesis? That's where life comes out of non-living substances. You have to have that for evolution. The famous experiments that proved biogenesis in the 1950s are all inherently flawed. They were done in a methane atmosphere. Because if they did it in the normal Earth's atmosphere, those living organisms that were created would never have lived. It is genetically impossible to bridge the gap between a monkey and a human being, let alone an amoeba in a human being. I mean, you talk about nuts. Oh, if you want to see who is crazy, so just read some of the old evolutionary science books. In, uh, what was it, the uh, 1940s and 50s, they said, uh, man had finally gotten his first view of a human embryo as it developed. And he said, ah, this is going to prove evolution. You see, a baby in its mother's womb looks like a tadpole. And then it grows and looks like a grub worm. And then it grows and, and it, experience, it has gills. And then it uh, uh, looks like a little monkey, even has a little tail that disappears. It's not a tail, my friend. It's just the spine grows faster than the body does. And it grows and, and, and encapsulates that. But they actually wrote textbooks saying that every stage of evolutionary development was pictured in the embryo of a human being. Nobody with one lick of sense would say that today because it's not true. It says, but of a sound mind. Our nation is in trouble today. Why? Because we spent too much money. 
How many people know where I'm going with this one? <laughs> so logically, if we've spent too much money, the way we will solve the problem is by spending thousand times more than we've ever spent in history. Does that make sense to you? Don't try that with your credit card at home. Please, I challenge you. Don't do that. A sound mind. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I don't need Prozac. Somebody said, after that last one, Pastor, it might help a little bit. I don't want something. I heard a talk show host a couple years ago. He said, every civilization has had its inebriating substance. Which was the destruction of that nation. And you go back through history. Alcoholic beverage. The Indians used to smoke the peyote, the American Indians, the psychedelic mushrooms and all of these things. You go down to the land of uh, uh, Peru and up in those mountains where they built those incredible cities. Let me tell you, we could not rebuild Machu Picchu today with all of our technology if we wanted to. But the descendants of the people who built Machu Picchu, do you know what they spend most of their time doing? Making a cheap imitation hooch, liquor, and keeping themselves inebriated a great deal of the time. that is showing us that man is not moving in forward, man's moving downward. We're not getting better and better, my friend. We're just finding more and more ways to dull the pain. But if you want to get rid of the pain, go back and get the power, because only Jesus has the power to forgive sins. If you want a sound mind, I'll tell you, there's nothing more bizarre and more perverse than somebody looking for love and can't get it. How many horror movies have they made of the domineering person who just wants someone to care about them? Listen, a sound mind does not need the attention of other people to be, to, to go through life. A sound mind is dependent upon sound things. I do not find my self-worth in lying to myself about who and what I might have been if I could have been what I thought I should have been when I wasn't what I could have been. And if that makes any sense to you, please explain it to me after church, all right? My self-worth comes from the fact that the God who created the heaven and the earth, who has all power, sent his son to die in my place. That makes me more valuable than any lie I can tell about myself. Amen? They tell us and we've read the history of the former Soviet Union. They would take people who called themselves Christians and who were Christians, and they'd put them in a laboratory and they'd say, listen, if you deny Christ, we're going to let you out of here. If not, we're going to torture you. And they'd say, I won't deny Christ. But don't you understand, we're going to inflict pain. I do understand, but I'm going to deny Christ. I'm going to not deny Christ. I'm going to hold true to the Word of God. 
And then they would begin the process, very many sundry ways to torture and put the human being through pain and suffering. Oftentimes people would leave the gulags broken in health and mind because of what happened to them there. But here is their final analysis. You will endure anything for the cause of Jesus Christ, therefore you must be insane. Uh, but I want to ask a question. What did the communists do to get control of the country? They sacrificed everything they had for the cause of communism. But you see, they're sane. And we're insane. Wrong. No one has ever suffered torture at the hands of someone who believed this book. History is full of people who said they believed the book and tortured other people. Is it too hard to find out that the Roman Catholic system does not agree with the Bible? It's not, that's not a very far jump for anybody. No one who's believed this book called the Bible has done anything but tried to help their fellow man. You read history. Now let me ask you, who's got the sound mind? You see, I don't need your problems to get me closer to God. He's the one. It's His power that saved me. I can love people without any strings attached. I don't have to get something from you. In fact, someone who loves with strings attached has got problems. It's not sound in their mind and in their heart. It's not the spirit that God was giving here in the book of 1 Timothy. And I want to challenge you today. Would you take the next few moments and just look at who and what you are? Could you not be honest enough to say, hey, wait a minute, the spirit of fear is what's in charge here. Well, if it is, then it's not the spirit of God. Say, well, I have the power. I remember driving a guy to the psychiatric ward. He was a lifetime alcoholic, died a, just a few months later from his alcohol psychosis. This was a statement on the way to the psych ward. He said, don't you see him? I said, see what, Freddie? He said, the spiders, they're all over the place. I said, there's no spiders, Freddie. There really aren't. This is what scared me more than anything, though, he said. Pastor Pete, I don't understand it. I'm so strong. I'm so strong. I said, no, you're not, Freddie. You're weak. That's why you see the spiders. That's why everything is bothering you. It's not your strength. It's God that will deliver you. But he couldn't reach out because he was believing in his own power. How many people will not love another human being because they're afraid of getting hurt? How many people will not allow their mind to see and comprehend what's really going on around them because they're seeking something else? I want to challenge you. Will you put your faith and trust in Jesus today? He's got the power. He's got the love. And he'll give you a sound mind. He really will. He's the only one that can solve those problems. This is how he wants us to live. Do you have that spirit operating in your life today? If not, 
you can come to Him and ask Him to save you and He will do it. He will save you. Yes, there will be some struggles, my friend, but there are struggles with everything. But you let God do the struggling and He'll give you the victory. Amen? Are you under the influence of the Spirit that Paul spoke about here? Or are you not? It can only be one of two places. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would take this time we call the time of invitation and it should work in our hearts and lives that, Lord, we'd be willing to see through the, the barriers and the coverings and the veneers of this world that we could see and understand what is really going on that we might have your love and your power active in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would give us the humility and the boldness to admit who we are and come to you and get it fixed. I pray for those that are here today that are unsaved. Lord, my first prayer is that today would be the day they would let go and trust God. Or at least today would be another step in that direction toward you and your love. We pray for those that are saved today. That as Paul warned Timothy, not to be influenced and controlled by this spirit of fear. That we would seek your power, your love, and the soundness of your mind in our hearts and in our lives. We ask you, God, to do your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation.